Hello, Collateral Gaming listeners. Chazzle Dazzle here from the Trial by Air Variety Show podcast. I just wanted to take a few seconds to invite you guys over to what we do. No, it's not video games, but we do invite really awesome and unique bands from all over the world. We dig deep into their souls and find really cool stories to tell you, and there's tons of music every week, so subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to your podcast. We look forward to having you. It's Halloween time on the bonus round as we once again step into the world of survival horror with Collateral Cinema, reviewing the 1997 classic Resident Evil Director's Cut. So stick around, the show starts right now. Welcome to Collateral Gaming Bonus Round. I'm Ashley Chancellor. And I'm Bo Maddox. And we are recording straight from somewhere in South Texas. And yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, be it bongs, blunts, or joints, or even edibles or some shit, smoke it or consume it if you've got it. Just whatever you do, don't give your edibles to kids for trick-or-treating or anything like that for Halloween. I mean, <laughs> it's just not a good idea. And know. on that note, happy Halloween, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as we are recording this near the end of October, and this is officially the Halloween edition of the bonus round. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, just a uh, I think what I want to argue is is basically this game specifically the epitome of survival horror. I mean, just just integral to the identity of it. Yeah, I mean, there are some examples before this particular game of you know the basic me- the basic like mechanics of survival horror. Like you know, you had the original Alone in the Dark. And yeah, everything. that's and, true. And I mean, Resident Evil itself, it was. Uh, I believe it was inspired by a game called Sweet Home or something like that on the Nintendo. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of a uh, precursor to Resident Evil. Okay. But, I mean, this is, yes, the definitive survival horror uh, experience. experience. Yeah, yeah. I would absolutely agree with that. And I really want to stress that because... Um, we're specifically talking about the director's cut edition of Resident Evil 1, and by extension, this episode kind of just covers the original Resident Evil 1, but I want to argue that this is the definitive experience of that, uh, you know, excluding, of course, the remake, which I, I will argue is, is probably, you know, just the definitive most superior version of this game, but if you're going for that classic 90s aesthetic then, you know, this is the way to go. This is the version that you're going to want to get. I mean, I actually recommended this to someone the other day on Facebook. You know, I mentioned uh, in like a Resident Evil shitposting group or something that, uh, you know, I would go with Director's Cut if you're going to play the original game. Absolutely. I mean, this set all of the standards for the genre, like pretty much. Like, like the PlayStation became pretty lousy with Resident Evil clones after this. I mean, this is true. All kinds of different uh, games came out that had this exact formula, you know, like Galarians. I mean, what, what's another one? Um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Dino Crisis, of course. And that that's, that's also from Capcom. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you had the tank controls. I mean, the, the graphics, the cutscenes. I mean, 
this is also another series that really moved, you know, cinematic gaming forward, uh, like at least by a generation. Right. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. I mean, this launched the franchise and, you know, what the director's cut edition is, is it's, it's a re-release of the game one year later, holding off until Resident Evil 2. Um, I think the only things that were really added for, you know, the, the most notable things uh, would be the uh, advanced mode, which rearranges some of the items and is, you know, just a harder difficulty. And then uh, what else was it? It was also supposed to be mostly uncensored. But yeah, that too. And also yeah. the auto-aim. The auto-aim, which was only included in the original Japanese version, was not in the English version at all, um, un, you know, for, for some weird reason, and then would pop back up in Resident Evil 2. So they, they added the auto-aim. Yeah, and that does kind of make this a more seamless experience, you know? Also, the starting weapon that you get, the Beretta, um, is, is, uh, I think in the original game was just a regular Beretta 91 or 92, whatever it was. And this one's like a customized Beretta yeah, it, it's 90 the, something FS. It's, it's the, uh, it's the Samurai Edge, right? It, it is what yeah. would later be known as the Samurai Edge. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was the precursor of the Samurai Edge. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's a, it's a hammer, it's a hammer fired, uh, pistol semi-auto. Yeah. I mean, Beretta, they make some good guns. I mean, I actually carried a Beretta Nano for almost two years. They're they're not not bad firearms, really. Just really really prone to rusting. Yeah. So you got to keep them clean like a motherfucker. But apparently they were standard issue for Stars members. Yeah. So and uh, specifically this variant was customized to be able to uh, critical hit those zombies. So like it's more likely to. Uh, to uh, to one off a zombie if you're doing a headshot or something like to that effect. And in the uh, in the actual gaming lore, it's it was actually created by the Kendo Gun Shop. You know that gun shop at the beginning right. of uh, Resident Evil. It was actually custom made by uh, Kendo himself. Yeah. So. Yeah, so a little bit more, you know, kind of lore started here with specifically this version of the game. But Resident Evil 1 in general, I think, just really encompasses the survival horror aspect so well for me. I mean, I think we mentioned in our Resident Evil 2 episode, which we just did, that, uh, you know, this game kind of really fits that aesthetic more. And I think that the fact that they use, you know, those cheesy live action cutscenes and and the dialogue is just so bad just adds to the experience. Now, there's a lot of interesting stories about those live action uh, cutscenes and everything. Like for one, nobody knew for the longest time, nobody actually knew who those actors were. They, really? they were only credited like with their first names. If you actually look in the credits and everything, sometimes the way that they like annotate things too, sounds like almost like they may be foreign or kind of sort of, they don't have accents, but it's like, it's like the way that they, that they speak. I, th is... I, I think that they recently just uh, tracked down like Rebecca's uh, actress and also uh -huh. uh, maybe Jill's. Okay, so what are their yeah. backgrounds like? I mean, they they were just you know, uh, they were just hired from like a temp agency for voice actors or or actors or something like that. I'm not really sure. I don't really recall. Yeah. I know that Wang has a couple of of videos on the subject, so go go check out his channel. I okay, mean, Wang is always a lot of fun to watch, anyways. But you know, but he, yeah, his. Uh, his uh, videos on the subject he go kind of a little more in depth on that. So 
Nice, nice. Yeah, I'll have definitely to check that out. Love me some Wang. But yeah, no, I think that just the delivery of the voice lines in this game, both in the live action cutscenes and in game, just really just chef's kiss. It's it's so much fun. I think it just really adds to the whole experience. You were almost a Jill sandwich. Yes. <laughs> no, don't go. <laughs> you know, it's like the way that Wesker was delivering his lines particularly made me think like, I want to see a fucking live action adaptation or something where Tommy Wiseau does Wesker. <laughs> what? Tommy Wiseau is Wesker. Oh, Lord. I just want to see that. You know, I don't know. It was the way he was delivering the lines and the glasses and ev- the sunglasses and everything. I just was like, I want to see Tommy Wiseau do this. It would just be so detached and otherworldly that, yes. I mean, I, I, I'm not really sure. Like, I, I don't know if I can even conceive that. Well, th- think about it. I mean, he's just kind of this, like, this, like, mysterious character like the conniving character behind oh, the scenes yeah, is yeah, like yeah yeah you know i don't know i feel like it would work but anyway i just i love the whole camp you know this is something that really wasn't as much of a thing with the later resident evil entries starting from resi 2 um you know just this game is just it's it's just really a blast and that's not even to get into, you know, for instance, the gameplay, because I think that the gameplay somewhat more in- encapsulates that survival horror aesthetic again, you know, like, like like I said before. Yeah. You know, I definitely felt like the the uh, difficulty is nudged up a bit here. I had a lot more trouble with uh, Resi 1 than I did Resi 2. Yeah, it was actually kind of funny to w- watch you watch, uh, like, play this stuff, you know? I was just like, wow, man, you're really, like, struggling with these damn zombies. Well, and like- see, the, well, part of it is just me being lazy and not wanting to, like, back up and, you know, but at the same time, you know, the Chris playthrough is quite a bit different from the Jill playthrough. And when we we're playing on your classic, you know, we had a little bit more to the original hardware experience versus when I was emulating it on my computer. You know, it wasn't as easy to just. Re- or not, not even not emulating on the computer. No, I played this on my PS4, and there's a nice little rewind feature in that version. Oh yeah, that would be nice to have on my PS Classic. But on the PS know. Classic, we've got at least the save states, which is nice. Yeah, Meaning- yeah, that that's always a good uh, a good compromise there. You yeah, know? I want to say it somewhat diminishes the uh, the the difficulty of you know going long stretches without you know using without saving or you know just. You're you're down to just critical health, and it's been a while since you've been to a save room, and you got to think about the scarcity of resources, how many ink ribbons you have. But there is a point where it's like, okay, like you can only do this for so long before it becomes tedious if you're at a particularly difficult part. So, <laughs> oh, definitely, and I mean, to me, it does. This isn't really a difficult game. I mean. As long as you just really, really, really keep up on all your, uh, on all your herbs and your health and and everything and your ammo. If you play this game well, I mean, I noticed in my like my jail playthrough, like I was stockpiling herbs and fucking uh, and, and ammunition and everything. And then with Chris, you know, at least towards the beginning, it was much harder to do so. But eventually, you know, once you kind of get the feel of the game, you know, I think it's not that difficult to you know, to kind of plan for shit. But I don't know. I mean, there were points where, like, for instance, you know, I used all my Magnum ammo on the Hunters, and I'm like, man, am I going to be able to find enough Magnum rounds for the bo- final boss? Yeah. And, and, and those Magnum rounds, I mean, that is, like, the most powerful handgun around in the game. It's a 
Colt Python 357, I believe. Uh-huh. Or it might, it might even be a 45 caliber. I'm not really sure. But, I mean, yeah, those will make quick work of the hunters. Like, at least a couple of shots and they're down. But, honestly, especially for that ending boss, the Magnum re- really comes in handy. You know, like, like it, it really, really uh, kind of... Pe- gives a little bit more penetration for like the tyrant and everything you know <laughs> penetration yeah penetration well yeah yeah you know penetration of bullets and everything <laughs> like, penetration motherfucker god damn it <laughs> but but yeah i i can see why you would really really want to save those rounds right like, exactly yeah you know you got to kind of think about this strategically and i think that that's really what makes the survival horror experience and like i said with resident evil 2 I mean, the scarcity of ink ribbons and, you know, even ammunition to an extent was not really that bad. I mean, it, it, it the game almost felt too easy for me. Uh, Resident Evil Director's Cut, you know, I felt, or even you know, just the original Resident Evil 1, I presume, you know, has a bit of an edge over that in terms of difficulty, I, I would argue. Uh, and especially if you play the advanced mode, which I haven't done yet. Yeah, the advanced mode, it really like you get even less ammo mm-hmm. i mean the i believe that the enemies actually uh, deal more damage a yeah. little bit and uh, i mean and, the, the bosses are a little more difficult and they even fuck up with you and rearrange the items I, I yeah. hear. and i think it even takes more ammo to take certain enemies down as well well that makes sense you know and some things were, were you know even tweaked for instance with the remake you know like uh, the dogs, you know, you could you could get down those with one or two shotgun blasts. In this game, it's better to just unload four to five handgun rounds in it and in them than it is to down them with three shotgun. Yeah, shells, you know, yeah. They, 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 there's you know there's there are a couple differences there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you need the accuracy of the handgun a little more than the stopping power of the shotgun with those dogs because they're very quick enemies. You know? Right, right. So it's like the way that you even approach enemies is a little bit different. Uh, things were altered, and so you know, I actually had a much more difficult time with this than with remake. And you know, part of that is it being on an older console, and just part of that is just. You know, the design uh, of some of the enemies being a little bit different. I mean, this game is just a little bit more unforgiving, I I would argue. A little, a lot more unforgiving, actually. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, especially when you're starting to go through those uh, those herbs and everything. Uh-huh. When, when, we, when you're getting down to the last one that's in your inventory. Right. Either that or if you messed up and your inventory is full and you need an item like really, really badly and you're just like, oh, shit. Especially gotta... when you're playing as Chris. Oh, yeah, especially as Chris. You're just like, oh, God damn it. I either got to find a either got to use one of these items now or I got to find a chest. It's it gets really harrowing. And there's a lot of backtracking and moving back. But I think what's nice about that is that you sort of get a feel for the Spencer Mansion. Yeah, let's talk about the Spencer Mansion, because uh-huh. to me, that is like the one of the more iconic elements of this game is, I mean, it, it's all pre-rendered backgrounds. This was right. like amongst the first games to really utilize that adequately. Right. And, and, and it actually, I think it, it really um, allows them to, uh, to, to present an experience that's so iconic. I want to say, you know, this game was was really making the most out of their resources and the technology at the time to to uh, to tell you this story. Yeah. I mean, plus, I mean, just the layout of the mansion itself. I mean, it's kind of become it's it's kind of become its own iconic thing. Like like Mm -hmm. when you that very first 10 to 15 minutes of the game is like quite possibly some of the 
best 15 minutes of gaming ever. Yeah. Well, some of the best opening ever is like you go like just into that uh, first uh, stairwell of the uh, of the mansion and everything. Uh-huh. I mean, you go up in there and everybody's just like, wow, what a mansion. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, I mean, that those backgrounds are just kind of seared into my brain. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's very it's almost like archetypal in a way. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's an archetypal, scary, haunted mansion type thing. With, And it's designed with all these different traps and puzzles. It's like, what what the hell was were the uh, architects thinking when they made this? Well, it kind of makes sense when you consider the context that this, you know, that the Spencer Mansion was actually uh, uh, associated with Umbrella. And it was actually, that was kind of its purpose, was existing to... Uh, support these undercover umbrella operations because yeah, they, they, I don't know the full lore, but like it wasn't uh, Spencer, like like the, the the person that it's named after, or the family head, or whatever Henry Spencer, I think, or yeah, I mean, wasn't he part of Umbrella or one of the founders? He, or he was, and in Code Veronica, you actually uh, meet the uh, the two uh, Spencer siblings who are okay. actually the they're they're the ones that currently own Umbrella at this point. Okay, yeah. And and it makes sense. I mean, it, there's a lot of really opulent rooms in here, but there's also a lot of really basic kind of utilitarian rooms, kind of. You know, like, for instance, all the different uh, storage areas that become the save rooms and whatnot, you know? Yeah. And also a lot of the bedrooms, you know, like like the Everything- lodging for the, for the scientists and whatnot. Yeah, and I want to say the Spencer Mansion, you know, in terms of at least lore, I think, kind of makes a little bit more sense than, say, the RPD does. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even though I think we argued that, as from a gameplay perspective, the RPD is 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 a, a little is is a better in, environment. Uh, the Spencer Mansion has an edge, I think, in terms of lore and like story. Yeah, you know, it kind yeah. of actually makes sense. Every room that you're in seems to have a, a sort of function within within the layout of the mansion. You know, and and, and although parts of it you're kind of mind boggling once you step back and you realize, okay, but you know, this was either designed or altered with this purpose in mind. You're like, okay, that makes sense. Well, one of the things that's really interesting about the uh, the Spencer Mansion and the Arclay Mountains and everything is uh-huh. it kind of adheres to this uh, concept that, you know, once again, I'm bringing up the librarian. You know, that's one of my favorite streaming uh, YouTube gamers or whatever. You uh-huh. know? And he put forward the uh, concept of uh, cozy and creepy. Yeah. And honestly, I think that this is probably the earliest example of that concept in action because, you know, yeah, there's a lot of real creep factor to the mansion, but there's like lots of rooms where it's just like, it's kind of nice. It's like, you can kind of chill there and maybe spend a night or two there. And and if it wasn't for all the zombies and monsters and bioweapons and everything, it's like it would actually be a pretty cool place to spend the night. Kind of, you yeah, know? it's kind of tight. I like it, you know. Yeah. And you've got these little areas like a, like a little library and a bigger library, and yep, you know, you've got like a medicine room, and then you've got like these like lounges that just look, you know, comfortable and and lush and posh and, uh, yeah, yep. I, I know what you mean. You also have that art room that uh, seeming that's the, where they start they store uh-huh. their artwork and everything. There's like two different art rooms actually, at, at, at least two. Yeah, of them. yeah, yeah, and uh. I even like how they kind of expand on that in the remake. They they kind of take that uh, 
the, those rooms and even add a little bit lore and, and you know, uh, detail to it. But, you know, even in the original 1996-1997 video games, uh, I'm actually impressed with considering the technology, how well they're able to uh, deliver that aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, there was there's a lot of environmental storytelling going on with the, with the uh, the mansion and everything, and you know, it's like, and and that really is a testament to uh, to the pre rendered backgrounds is that they could really put that detail into it and kind of help tell the story. You know, not just with the characters and not just with the, all the enemies and whatnot, but with the mansion itself. Yeah, and you know, in addition, you know, we also at, at one point, you know, I think we. we talked about the fact that this uh, that, that there's a lot of sameness going on that due to the technical limitations that everything kind of feels the same but that also kind of portrays a feeling of claustrophobia I think you know and it kind of you know really sends home that message that you know they're kind of locked here on the mansion grounds yeah you know and, yeah. and it's kind of like there's that feeling of isolation. And you're practically alone for most of the journey. I mean, depending on who you play as, if you're playing as Jill, you're going to get some scenes with uh, with Barry and then later meet up with uh, Chris and you'll see Wesker a couple times. But if you're playing as Chris, you'll get Rebecca and you'll see Wesker at times and Jill at the end. But it's like, that's it. Yeah. You know, there's there is uh, there's that that profound sense of you know you're just kind of here alone most of the time and you're exploring the mansion any room that you walk into could be a trap or be filled with enemies that can kill you well once again it goes back to that environmental storytelling like it's it's meant specifically to kind of give you that type of menace yeah and everything you know yeah, or, you know, especially, like, watching here on this, like, walk, playthrough that we're watching, this long play, and, and this is in the very beginning of the game through Jill's playthrough where you walk through that corridor towards the uh, the north end of the first floor. Yeah. And, and the, the dogs come out of the windows. I think they're called Cerberus. Yeah, they're called Cerberus. Yeah. Yeah, or Cerberi, Cerberuses, I don't know, and that, that burst out through the windows, you know? And, and your instinct, actually, the thing that you should do is just, at that point in the game, you probably don't have enough ammunition to really take care of them and yo you gotta run you should just run through that court that is such a oh shit moment right there i'll never forget the first time that when me and my buddies were playing this on the original playstation i'll never forget that that moment where they just burst through the window and they're like go oh shit oh shit oh shit oh shit it's like yeah it's like, do we fight him or do we run? Do we fight him or do we run? The remake you know? eases into that, I noticed, where, you know, the first time you walk through a room, the enemies aren't going to bombard you. But later on, it's a nice surprise because it kind of lulls you into a sense of false security, which is cool. But this game instead actually just kind of just throws it full force at you, surprises you right from the get-go, and you get the feel for what type of game this is going to be. And I think that that aesthetic is nice as well. Well, another great example is the scene in that bedroom where the zombie busts out of the uh, of the wardrobe uh-huh. of the closet, and you turn around and you read the diary of the scientist that or the researcher that was living there, and at first everything seems normal. He's just like, uh, "Yeah, it's my job to feed the dogs." It's like, you know, it's, screw them. I'm not going to feed the dogs or anything. And then you just kind of. You kind of read and you see his gradual demise, you know, how he just became a zombie. And it has those iconic words at the end of it, itchy, tasty. Yes. It's like that's a that's another great example and, and of then the how, zombie jumps out of the closet. Yeah. No, no, I think it jumps out of the closet before you read it. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it actually adds a little bit of, you know, tragedy to all of this and and all that, you know? Yeah, it, it really does. You know, I love that the the lore is presented to you in such a way that, you know, you just kind of find these notes and letters everywhere. And that's how you get the story. You know, you, you explore. The game pushes you to, you know, check out new rooms and check out everything that there is to offer in that room. Go off this path. Check out this room. And, you know, and I, I like how the story is is presented that way. Uh, oddly enough, I think Resi 2 doesn't really have any of those, like, notes or letters laying around. The remake does. Not but. as much. I mean, it it's there, but, I mean, I think that that's a more character-driven story than this one yeah, is. Yeah, and I think a little certain more. versions have different amounts of that as well. Yeah, and this game is definitely... The story is more driven by the by the world building. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that's really what that is. It's excellent world building. I mean, you uh-huh. get a you get a feel for what Umbrella is about. You get a feel for, you know, what the lives of some of these researchers were like mm-hmm. while they were at the Spencer Mansion. And it's a real clever way to just kind of inject some pathos into all of this. Right. I agree. Yeah. 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 No, I I think that, you know, and, and it does kind of demonstrate you know, how much this virus just ravaged the lives of everybody involved. And right now, during this part of the story, it's particularly isolated to, you know, the staff of the mansion and anybody that's been to the mansion. And, you know, the scope of that tragedy gets explored more in later titles, but you don't get as much of a, a microscopic look at that so much as you do in this game. Yeah, it's more of a it's more of a microcosm of you know, what happens later on in Resi 2 and everything. It's yeah. A, it's a microcosm of that. And honestly, another thing about the mansion that I wanted to point out is just how it really evokes that alienating feeling of isolation. Like, that. That's and that's what's great about it being this one central uh, location outside Raccoon City. You know, I mean, you really feel like you are far away from anyone who are, who is going to help you. Like you have to be your own defender here and you have to use your wits to survive. Like to, to me, that's something I think may have been a little bit missing in Resident Evil 2 and 3. Yeah. A little bit. And your only help that you possibly have is the faulty radio. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only real link to the outside world that you have here. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I think that, that that that's you know portrayed very well, and you know you don't go to very many different locations in this game, but you do still have your distinct areas. Um, I think the the mansion part of the of the environment is uh, arguably the best designed portion of the game. But even so, as you kind of then that's the reason why that's the one that you keep coming back to, and and even so. The locations that you go to afterwards as you kind of drive towards the, the final act of the story just kind of increases that sense of tension. Yeah, I mean, tension is definitely an understatement here. I mean, the atmosphere that's invoked throughout this game, I mean, it's really just so thick. Like, like it's penetrating in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean... That, that was something that really, really, like, just scared the shit out of us when we were younger, you know? But especially, like, with the music and just all the sounds of the... The way that they use the sound design, like, to kind of evoke this huge, spacious mansion and everything. Yes! I mean, that really, really just added to that isolation and to that tension. 
Yeah, no, the soundtrack is iconic too. I mean, you know, you've mentioned before that the the Resident Evil save music in particular is always top notch. I love the save room theme here, and I, I even just love all of the the themes that play, you know, throughout the Arclay Mansion and its grounds and its underground sections and laboratories. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Man, I love the save music in this game. It's actually it's so it's strangely emotional in a way. It's almost like really comforting, but also very sad. And you know, yeah, because you you're caught up in this fucked up situation, and this is the only bit of respite that you have. And you know, seriously, th- that that music it just evokes a feeling in me that's just like wow. It's like kind of a nostalgia, but also a kind of a dread, but also a sadness. But I know exactly what you mean. But also a calmness. You know. Mm-hmm. It's it's tranquility. kind of yeah a tranquility to it and it's it's it it really just I don't I don't know how else to describe it really I mean it's just gets you right there you know yeah I agree yeah. I agree this the 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 save room theme especially in this game is 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 awesome it's gold uh, and I I love that the way that the soundtrack and and the sound design uh, really just delivers that survival horror experience. Yeah, I mean, especially the way that, you know, certain instruments are kind of utilized in here. Like, like there's that iconic cello, like, just very, like, low-key minor notes and everything, and it's just, like, oh, man, that just creeps me out every time I hear it, and... I even like the moment where you play uh, Moonlight Sonata and everything else just kind of pauses for a moment while you play this melody that played in this particular context is almost sort of haunting. It is very haunting. It fits perfectly within the aesthetic of Resident Evil. And Moonlight Sonata, I mean... That, that, I believe that's Beethoven, or is it Mozart? One of the two. It's it's either Mozart or Beethoven. Um, it's it's one of those songs that you know, like it's once again, it's kind of like the save room music in a way. Yeah, you know, very calming but very tragic, but also very creepy. Yes, you know, very much so. And I think it's even better whenever you're playing in the the Chris playthrough because you actually have to hear Rebecca play the song over and over again as she's trying to get it and she keeps messing up and having to start over and so if you let her practice for a little bit and you start moving around the mansion it just kind of plays on top of whatever you're doing even when you're just right outside the room yeah yeah you could still hear the uh, piano outside of the room that, that, it's a cool little bit of sound design right there yeah I really like that yeah. I really I really enjoy that and I like how you walk away from that room you go somewhere else you know maybe accomplish another task or two or if you really just want to get through it you I think you can just head to, to like the main hall and back yeah but um grab the the emblem on your way through <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it's better it's better if you leave it there than if you have to go trek back to some item box to go get it but anyway um things you learn when you play through the game more than one time right oh yeah of course and we'll talk about how that changes you know but anyway i like how you you uh you're on the way back and, and then you start to hear the music come back again and this time she's actually able to play it competently she doesn't mess up and you walk in and she's like chris <laughs> is that you rebecca is that you rebecca <laughs> she's right in front of you there dude the lights aren't even dim in here <laughs> Yeah, it's another one of those corny uh, line deliveries. <laughs> yeah. Gotta love it. 
You were almost a chill sandwich. Alpha Team is flying around the forest zone, situated in northwest Raccoon City, where we're searching for the helicopter of our compatriots, Bravo Team, who disappeared during the middle of our mission. Bizarre murder cases have recently occurred in Raccoon City. There are outlandish reports of families being attacked by a group of about ten people. Victims were apparently eaten. Bravo team went to the hideout of the group and disappeared. It was Bravo Team's helicopter. Nobody was in it. But strangely, most of the equipment was still there. However, we soon discovered why. Redfield. Jill Valentine. Barry Burton. Rebecca Chambers. Albert Wesker. Resident Evil. <laughs> Let, let's talk about some of the characters yes. in, this, in this game. Iconic fucking characters. Seriously. I mean, you've got, of course, Jill and Chris. And every time I play as Jill, I can't stop staring at her ass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then you've got, you know, that boulder punching asshole, Chris. So this is his first venture. Yep. Who would have who known that he would have such hatred for boulders? <laughs> just who would have thought that he would just want to assault a boulder like that right right uh you've got uh barry 
Barry's my man, dude. I fucking love Barry. Barry is the shit. He is like the greatest. And Rebecca Chambers, the uh, youngest member of the team, I believe, and uh, just kind of the the cutesy, you know, like trying to do her best. I'm just trying to figure out how the fucking 18-year-old became a cop. Yeah, good point. It's like, yeah, as an 18-year-old kid becoming a cop like that is like, well, wait a second. It's like, does she even have military training? Like, what the fuck? She, she's old enough to be in the military, but... I don't know, but I just like her because she just kind of has that little sister vibe. Oh, she totally is. Yeah, yeah. She's the little sister to Chris, like, all the way. And then arguably to Jill a little bit. Yeah, later. despite the fact that he actually does have a little sister. Yeah, that's right. He does. <laughs> Who we will play as in the next game. But yeah, no, I like that. You know, I think that she's, she's just a fun member of the party. I like all of them. And I think the fact that the, the dialogue is so campy and it's just honestly terrible. It just really f- flushes out these characters in a way that make them fun. Yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. Like e- even from that first moment in Jill's playthrough where where Barry is with you and Barry's just like, wait, like we got to go after him. Chris is our old partner, you know? <laughs> There's just some like camaraderie. Like, this mansion is gigantic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I there, there, there's a reason that if you watch uh, Felix's uh, reviews of the Resident Evil games, he's he cosplays as he's, he dresses up as Barry. Nice, and it's, and it's fucking awesome. So the, like the red vest, and yeah, everything. red vest with the knife up here and everything. Yeah, yeah, and and he's the one like he carries the big ass. He's the, he carries the big ass Magnum. That's yeah. his his preferred sidearm. The, he, his Python. Magnum is better than Jill's Magnum, actually. Yeah, I think it's a modified Magnum. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if there's any way to get it, obtain it in the original game, but in the remake, you can actually pick it up if you uh, if you let Barry die, and uh, you you he, his Magnum is better than Jill's by quite a bit. It's the best weapon you can get up aside from the rocket launcher. I, w- I want to say that you could maybe unlock the... Uh, his uh, Colt Python and in, in subsequent playthroughs. Subsequent playthroughs. I want to say that, but I haven't toyed with that at all. I know for sure that you can unlock the rocket launcher throughout the next game, where you just have the rocket launcher for the with infinite ammo, with infinite ammo and everything. Fuck yeah! It's like that is gangster. That's Love part it. of Resident Evil as well. You know, playing through the game well enough that you deserve to unlock the we- an un- un- an infinite weapon. Not to mention costumes. In the costumes. Interesting, very interesting costumes. Yeah, there's a whole room dedicated to that, I think, that's adjacent to one of the art rooms. Yeah, yeah. It's With like the, one, that mirror room. Yeah, once you uh, beat the game and get a certain ranking, you uh, get a special key to open it up. I'm assuming it's that room that's that, that's connected to the mirror room that's like, you need a special key. To yes, that, that's exactly what it is. Okay. That's, that's the uh, dressing room. Okay, in the remake, it's actually in the other art room in that uh, section that you have to move the cabinet to get to. Okay, okay. Behind one of the paintings. I know, yeah. But in this one, it's in the other art room. Yeah. <laughs> or connected <laughs> near it. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I haven't toyed around with any of the costumes or whatever, but I've watched some playthroughs and I've seen some crazy shit where people have, have gone through, you know, uh, uh, playthroughs of this game with, you know, just the best weapons in the game and cool ass outfits. I think that it, it's really fun to be able to to play through this multiple times, and especially with the director's cut, because you, you kind of you know increase that replayability factor even more. I've seen lots of playthroughs of this game where people put a randomizer mod on, or a randomizer patch or whatever. That makes it, a lot of sense. Yeah, like it, it randomizes uh, the items and it also randomizes uh, dialogue. Honestly, I think so. that that's 
kind of really would add to the whole uh yeah. To the game design. Yeah, be- yeah, because, I mean, you go up and instead of the uh, normal item that you would normally receive, you'll get whatever. Like, yeah. Like, you-, you could go and try to pick up the wind crest, but you'll get, like, a green herb. Or you'll you pick up the shield key, and instead you'll get, like, the cold python. As long as the game is designed in such a way that it's actually playable. Well, there- yeah, there's, uh, there's people who uh, actually uh, do, like, speed runs that way. Right. Just to just make it a little more difficult, you know? Yeah. No, I, I think that's cool as hell. It kind of encourages you to be like, just work through room by room. And that's kind of what you do when you start up the game. And then you get a, a feel for the layout and you realize, okay, now I can go back to this room to do this, or I can go there to do this. Yeah, and that, that's another thing is that this game is really well suited to speed running. Yeah, it is. Because, I mean, you can easily beat this game in three hours if you really apply yourself to it. Right. And that's how you get, I think, the highest ranking. Yeah. Yeah, so it is entirely possible to go through this game in less than three hours. Right. And, you know, and if you really know this game like the back of your hand, you can do it without having to save all that often. Just utilize your resources well. Whenever you get a particular ammo type, especially if you're playing with a randomizer, just learn how to use that weapon to your advantage yeah. or store it away for whenever you think you're going to need it. Yeah, and. And, and there's lots of really iconic weapons in this game to speak of, you know. So imagine, like, walking up and trying to pick up the flamethrower, but instead they just give you another knife right? with a randomizer. Oh, that's true, because you do get two knives in this game, I think, right? I think... Uh, yeah, yeah, you do, actually. Yeah, so I, I think they, they give that to you at the part where you have to cut the webs because it, it would be used... Because they think you need to use the knife to cut the webs, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. But for the most part, both Jill and Chris, they have knives. Uh, they have knives equipped. Like the knife is the only that, that's what you start off with with Chris. You start yeah. off with a knife. I noticed myself using the knife a lot more in uh, in this game than I did Resi 2. In Resi 2, there's just a couple of situations in the beginning where it might be helpful. You might keep it on you in case you run out of ammo. But, you know, there's a certain point where you just kind of drop it off. In this game, there's still a point where once you get enough ammunition and weapons, you're going to deposit your knife and never use it again. But in the early game, it's definitely a lot more useful. I found myself, you know, kind of having to, to learn how to knife and use it well. And, you know, even employing mechanics like knifing enemies on the ground, you know, after after uh, after shooting I, them, after shooting them. Right? Yeah, yeah that, that's what I've been doing in my Chris playthrough. Right, and that doesn't usually kill them, so you knife him on the ground, switch back to the gun, shoot him again, knife him on the ground again. You You can usually only get just one slice in while they're on the ground, too. I mean, this game is hard. Yeah. And the zombies can be relentless, you know, sometimes just trying to weave your way through them, you know. Let's say you don't have a lot of ammo. Well, now, every time you go through this hallway that's connected to the save room, you're going to have to weave through enemies and and, and try to avoid them latching onto you. Like, I don't know when I'm going to get the next herb. Exactly. Yeah, I had lots of moments like that, especially with the Chris playthrough, <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, yeah. They, they, well, they they may, of course they make the Chris playthrough a little more difficult. Right, Jill playthrough yeah. I think is definitely intended more for beginners. Uh, she doesn't hit as hard, but she makes up for it with the uh, extra inventory space, so you can keep better weapons on you all the time. And also, and, her her lock pick comes in handy because, I mean, in Chris's playthrough, if you want to lock pick certain things, you got to find small keys and everything. Taking that, up more inventory. Taking up more inventory, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and in this one, he doesn't even have the lighter ability. <laughs> yeah, you have to pick up a lighter. Yeah. Le- Leon actually gets that in Resi 2. And in the remake of this game, they give Chris the uh, the lighter by default. But in this one, no. 
you uh, you still have to pick it up. So you, you, Chris is uh, inventory management experience is much more difficult. <laughs> very, very much so. You know, or at least involves quite a bit more strategy and really thinking about what I need. I mean, I found myself, you know, because you want to make sure that you have the right weapons equipped and that you have, uh, and that you have at least an empty space for you. So at the end of the day, I had to decide, you know, I can't really keep an herb on me right now because I have to keep this key item in my inventory. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like at least until I go through enough. You know, I unlock enough doors so that I can discard this key. It's like I don't have the space to have everything that I need. You know, <laughs> yeah, no. There kidding. was a lot more strategy involved with that, and real, really having to remember. Okay, well, I know that there's going to be some herbs coming up in this room, and you know, like I can combine those, make some more space in my inventory. You know, yeah. But well, yeah, well, let's talk about Wesker a little bit, man. Wesker, Wes, Wesker, the man, fucking Wesker, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he starts off as the commander of stars. You know, you have no reason not to trust him, but yeah, he does that infamous heel turn and become and it turns out that he's working for Umbrella and and doesn't he somehow come back in later games? He does. Yeah. God damn it. I think I think mainly he comes back in Code Veronica. <laughs> that actually pisses me off a little bit because he's kind of a bastard. He's a total bastard. Oh my god. He he's even worse in Code Veronica. Yeah, and he's not even loyal to Umbrella, right? He's renegade from them. He's just kind of in it for himself. All the way. Yeah. You know? Like they they go real hard in a Wesker's character in the uh, Paul W S Anderson movies. Like they yeah. they actually make him even a, more of a bastard in that one. Which we'll talk about when we get to our uh, director's cut episode on the uh, Resident Evil movies. Oh yeah, that's going to be fun. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't. I still haven't watched that. But uh, just even in this game and what interactions you get with him, uh, I don't know. I, I I he's a bastard, but I love him. Yeah. <laughs> And let's talk about the tyrant for a little bit. The tyrant is kind of a kind of a character in his own right, sort of. I don't know. I just pumped him full of magnum rounds and he was dead. So, And I didn't get the good ending, so I didn't get the final boss battle with the tyrant in my Jill playthrough. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I didn't finish the Chris one yet. So I actually... So you, ne- so you my- never got to blast him with the rocket launcher? I haven't got that yet oh, because apparently what? what you have to do at a certain part of the game is wait for Barry to come back with the rope. Oh, and, and yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. only way to make him survive. That, what? Why? I was convinced. I was like, why would I just sit here and wait? There's another way out. I can go and find and get up. I thought I would catch up with him. I didn't think I had to actually wait for him. Yeah, it's it's easy to kind of get tripped up by stuff like that in this game. But it does increase the replayability value. You're like, okay, well, that's something I could have done different. But yeah, I didn't get much time with the tyrant as a result, but... Um, you know, I remember facing, you know, the super tyrant at the end of, of Resi 2. Uh, he kind of looks similar and in fights similar to that variant. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. To, you know, the one at the very end of, of, of the game when you're playing in the B scenario. Um, yeah, that, that one seems a little bit more, uh, similar, uh, and, you know, it's a difficult enemy. I remember he's fast and he's kind of hard to get away from, but you just step back, pump, several magnum rounds in them if you have them but now i'm thinking you know in this other playthrough i'm playing it's like am i gonna have enough am i gonna have to get up and close with the shotgun <laughs> i mean flamethrower i mean basic the basic strategy with the uh bo- final boss with the with the tyrant is basically just avoid his attacks until you get the rocket launcher right it's pretty much 
kind of kind of the same way with Resi 2. Well, and it's the same way in the remake. I remember playing that final boss battle in the remake, and that that's what you do is you just you just survive long enough to uh, to to hit the rocket launcher at him. But in this game, I only have the first battle to go off of. Yeah, I yeah. haven't played him, uh, faced him in in the the other boss battle. Um, but you know, I, I'm just really feeling giddy about that whole uh, that ending sequence. You know, with the triple take with the with the rocket launcher. Yeah, that's that's such a uh, classic Resident Evil trope, right? Yeah, yeah. Just the triple take. <laughs> and it is a, it is immaculate to watch the uh, tyrant just blow up. You know, hell yeah! Like that—that that was back when you know gore and gore in video games was such a new thing. You know, like uh-huh. it had only been touched on in like computer gaming and you know like Mortal Kombat and whatnot. But this was a game that actually really elevated gore and and horror violence in video games. Yeah, it, it elevated it. It, it kind of had that classic, you know, Dawn of the Dead vibe to it. You know, you have decapitations. You have like like you have like people who are just straight up gutted and you know mutilated and whatnot it's it, it really goes into detail it's fun though it's it's splooshy i mean i loved taking off uh uh zombies heads with the shotgun i i realized as i started to get you know especially through the the crest playthrough that you know the handgun ammo was actually kind of scarce but they kept giving me shells and i'm like should I be using this to one-shot these zombies? Because it's so fucking satisfying. You just It seems like they give you enough shotgun ammo to do it. You just aim up, pah, and their head comes off, and it's bleeding everywhere, and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking love it, dude. Uh, I know in the remake, there's that element where uh, that's actually beneficial to you because they won't come back as, as the Crimson Heads. Yeah, that's right. So, you, you destroy the head, they won't come back. You yeah. destroy the head or you burn them. Uh, but yeah, no, even even in this game, I just love doing that. There's something just incredibly satisfying about just, you know, aim up, wait for them to get a little bit close to you, but not much because that spray is, is, is pretty wide and just bah, and their head just comes off. <laughs> <laughs> and their, their headless bloody body comes crashing it has to a the ver- floor. It has a very satisfying pop to it, right? Yes, it does. Yeah, it's pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking awesome, dude. And and uh, then you start to face, you know, the more difficult enemies like the Haunters that, you know, they can take three shotgun rounds before going down. Oh, man, I remember the Haunters were terrifying. Like, they're, they're, that's another uh, enemy that's introduced with a special cutscene. Yeah. And you see them just come up from the lab, and they, they are just, like, running up to you. Okay, it, explain this to me. Speaking of cutscenes, okay? <laughs> Because yes, I agree with you that 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 really adds to their to their effect. But um, there's a certain place in the game where uh, after you is and I, I I think I noticed it in both playthroughs. Yeah, after you come back from uh, the second uh, snake battle, giant snake battle, and you go through the underground section uh, or the basement section of the mansion, uh, there's a cutscene where a regular ass zombie comes through the door heading into that into that basement area and i and i that made me wonder why that was in there like did they just like forget to open a door up to allow you to get to to head to this area it just has certain scripted moments like that there's just they just throw a zombie at you yeah you know well, and it's interesting cuz that area in the remake actually you can head down there and I don't remember if that cutscene was there or not, but you could head down to that area early in the game, and so a cutscene like that actually makes sense. 
But in, in in this one, that door is locked from the inside out. But then there's another door past that that's also locked from the inside out. So it makes me wonder if maybe there was a door that was meant to be unlocked there, and this was meant to be an area you could access early, and you know you would get that that cutscene of the zombie coming down. Possibly because it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just like one regular ass zombie that gets a whole ass cutscene, and it's like okay. <laughs> well, I guess they all had to have their own cutscenes. I mean. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird to me, man. And it's right next to that area in the game where you encounter the very first zombie. So I wonder if, if yeah, maybe there was just kind of a uh, design error going on there. I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I'm not sure either. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I guess we'll sort of get into our final thoughts here. Uh, starting with you, Mr. Bo Maddox. Man, this is such a fun game to go back to. I mean, it in in some ways, I mean, especially since I played it so many times, like it's almost like a game I could go and almost turn my brain off and just play, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's not entirely mindless though, because when you go through that first playthrough, I mean, the puzzles are going to they're going to make you think a little bit. They're not the most the most difficult but, yeah. you know, they'll make you kind of be like, huh, how do I do this for a little bit? But, yeah, the, I mean, the gameplay itself was, you know, it, it, it was groundbreaking. I mean, needless to say, I mean, it pretty much it, it established tank controls. You spawned know? an entire franchise. Spawned an entire franchise. Spot, helped spawn an entire genre of gaming. Exactly. That, that, that came full circle and is now back now. It, it, it kind of went out of fashion for a little bit, but... Ever since uh, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard came out, you know, it's back in the survival horror genre. Yeah, and and especially, you know, we've got the Resident Evil 4 remake coming out. Which, I mean, that is a little more of an action-oriented one, but that still had a lot of survival horror elements to it still. Yeah, yeah. At least a few. Right, and it's still kind of the franchise going in, I think, good directions, not... uh, well, then Resi Five came out, and uh. right, that's that exactly as I said. That that's where you know Resident Evil Four was the last time that it was good. <laughs> oh, very much so. Yeah, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I actually prefer Resident Evil at its you know at its more less action oriented, more uh, just puzzle survival horror focused, exploration focused. Definitely, but yes, I mean this is a game. It's another one of those games that means a lot to me. You know, it was part of my childhood. You know, I mean this along with Final Fantasy VII, it really elevated cinematic gaming, of course. And you know, and also it it was an interesting way to tell a story within a video game construct. Yeah, you know. Especially with the environments and everything, and the, that feeling of isolation, you know, and all the lore building with all of the uh, the papers and the diaries that you find and whatnot. Like, it, it was very compelling back then, and it still is now. I think that it holds up amazingly well. Like, the, the first three games and, and Code Veronica, period, they all hold up well. I'd even say the first four games. Yeah. All, all of those hold up, and I mean, and there's a reason why they remake them, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was because of that. Yeah, I almost want to see a re-remake now, actually, of of, Res- of Resi One. It, yeah, it probably would help. You know, I could just see like like taking, you know, that same aesthetic and bringing it into a modern gaming perspective. I mean, the first remake does a good job of connecting it, but it it, it definitely just feels like you know just a, a a more modernized version of this game. I'd love to see what they could do with it 
to go even further by today's standards, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I agree. This game is fucking classic. I, I think it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, especially, you know, if you're trying to get kind of back into the, the roots of survival horror. Uh, it's definitely, you know, something to do during the spooky season, for instance. And with uh, the amount of Resident Evil content that we've been getting the last few years, if you've ever wanted to revisit, you know, where it all came from, uh, yeah, I think this game holds up uh, surprisingly well. Uh, the logical structure of the game impresses me. I love how, you know, there's just kind of like a go here, do this vibe. And I, I love how over time, just kind of uh, getting to know the layout of, of, of the Arclay Mansion better and, and, and being able to know the game like the back of your hand is just such a satisfying experience. Starting from not knowing what the fuck is going on, walking into rooms where there's hordes of zombies and not enough ammo or health to, to engage them to, you know, just kind of becoming an expert is just immensely satisfying and uh especially compelling very much so yeah and and again i want to argue i want to emphasize that this game really i think encapsulates the survival horror experience uh better than uh, a lot of modern games do even yeah i mean there's a reason why there's a lot of uh, indie game developers that are kind of going back to this style of survival horror and they're they're releasing even games with tank controls and whatnot that's just kind of making homages to this uh, to the original defining game of survival horror hell yeah man hell yeah well folks if you enjoyed this episode stick around for part two of our resident evil two uh and this is a episode where we're actually going to be talking about the remake So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then for our Halloween special, we are going to be talking about Clock Tower. Yay. And uh, I'm excited because I've actually been playing, specifically the Super Nintendo version of Clock Tower. Um, That's what we're going to be talking about. That's what we're going to be, uh, uh, that's what I've been playing lately. And it's been a lot of fun. But uh, to kind of uh, extend this uh, collaboration with Collateral Cinema that we've been doing and also to uh and also the resident evil franchise uh we're going to be talking about on the collateral cinema side uh resident evil and welcome to raccoon city in the next uh director's cut episode which will be our halloween edition of the director's cut yes and we will also be releasing our official halloween episode on halloween on halloween ends which yeah yeah you're gonna want to hear our take on the this movie like I mean, we we go back with the Halloween franchise. We've we've been doing that for like pretty much the entirety of this podcast. So, it it's nice to finally end that. Yeah, I agree. You I know? agree. Yeah, it's 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 nice to maybe move on to something else. You know. But yeah, check out our Resident Evil 2 episode as well that we did with Collateral Cinema. Uh, And uh, the part two is going to also be a further collaboration. And, uh, you know, I I really am enjoying what we've been doing this spooky season. I hope everybody is enjoying the month and, you know, excited for uh, Halloween. I I just did the uh, Halloween hayride yesterday in our neighborhood with my daughter. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So, you know, and I think we've got Trunk or Treat coming up at my parents' church, and uh, we've got uh, actual Halloween, I think, like trick-or-treating at some point, or 
I don't know. <laughs> That's a lot of fun, man. Hell yeah. And it's the perfect time to play a lot of spooky games, watch a lot of spooky movies, and smoke a shit ton of weed. Oh, yes, man. This is this is definitely a stoner month. Like People may not think it, but it totally is. Totally. Totally. 100%. But yeah, if uh, you like what we're doing, then check us out on Patreon. We have exclusive Let's Play video game commentaries. And on the Collateral Cinema side, we have full-length movie commentaries. Yes, and I want to go ahead and announce some of the things that we might start doing on Patreon to make it a little sweeter for people. Because we, we don't have any patrons right now. We need patrons, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we're going to start releasing our episodes early on patreon yeah yeah that's a good so, idea i'd like to do that with collateral gaming as well if, if we can make that a reality yeah yeah kind of it, yeah yeah and also i want to actually get together a uh pledge drive to kind of get more patrons to uh to join and uh, to help us out with the show so we might be putting together a live stream here pretty soon like maybe just with collateral gaming and just play a video games and just you know maybe take a, a q a that would be awesome man. yeah and you know going into the future you know that would be something fun to do around certain holiday seasons like october you know I exactly kind of do yeah. something a little bit more horror focused yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, maybe it's something like that's something we could do next season. And, and I, yeah, I'm excited. I'd really like to live stream a game or something like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun, man. There's so many places we can go. I mean, even just talking about survival horror games. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, we, 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 we've, we've talked you know a little bit about Outlast. I'd like to do like something like Amnesia. Um, would love to get into more of the Resident Evil franchise and especially the Silent Hill franchise with a lot of the, the news that's been coming out lately. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm excited about the, the Silent Hill news, man. Like all these <sighs> new games are getting a new movie. It's like, damn. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny because we, we were kind of struggling for news in our news segment on our last episode, and then this happened right after. Um, we'll, we'll probably incorporate that into to part two of the Resi 2 episode because uh, there's just a lot of shit that happened. A um, lot. Oh, man, they announced a lot of exciting stuff. I mean, shit, yeah, we're getting a new Silent Hill movie, a remake of Silent Hill 2, and three new games or game-like experiences. It's not real clear on exactly what all of them are. And apparently even uh, PT has been re-released. I heard that. I've heard something about PT being re-released. So. Yeah, and we did an episode on PT for uh, our Halloween special one year, so check that out if you haven't. Yeah, definitely. Yeah that, yeah, that episode was a lot of fun. We actually ended up having to play like a... like A, a reconstruction. A reconstruction yeah. of that game, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, so for some reason it deleted itself from my PS4, and I'm so mad. But God damn it, <laughs> that would be like thousands of dollars. No man, shit. I know, shit. But yeah, no, it's been a fun, fun, spooky month. Hope that everybody has a safe and happy Halloween. Follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That goes for both podcasts. We also have the Collateral Media Podcasts Facebook group and a Discord as well. Yeah, yeah, check uh, us out on Discord. Media. Yeah, check us out on uh, Discord. And yeah, come and uh, shitpost with us on our Facebook group, Collateral Media Podcasts. It's a lot of fun. We're actually getting some members uh, becoming active with that group and, uh, and posting shit. So, you know, you've got anything, uh, movie, video game, or even just pop culture or podcast related. Podcast you know, related, wrestling related, fucking comic book related. Whatever. Yeah, pop culture in general, you know? Yeah. It's like, a, I, you bring it up. Talk about it, you know, news, memes, whatever. 
because uh, yeah, it's a great place to engage. And uh, I've been having a lot of fun so far this season on both podcasts. I'm excited for what is to come. Oh, definitely. And yeah, definitely check out Collateral Cinema on Twitter. I'm getting a lot more active there. Uh, hit me up, uh, at me. Like, uh, we just had uh, a, a guy by the name of Sean Bateman. He suggested a movie for us that we're going to do for a director's cut commentary. And it's the live action version of the Wicked City OVA. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. That's going to be our first actual request from a follower of ours. So. Yeah, yeah, Sean, we're we're totally gonna do it. Like, we'll probably do it sometime next month, maybe. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah, I'm excited. So, but yeah, thanks for sticking around around with us, folks, and uh, have a happy Halloween once again. I've been Ashley Chancellor, and I was Bo the Mangler Maddox. <laughs> Got to make it Halloweeny, right? Right, right. Yep. I don't know what I would want to do with my name, but. Uh, <laughs> We are out. Out. Collateral Gaming is a Collateral Media podcast. All music and game clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.